I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to speak to my family here and any friends that are here. Um, this series that we've been in has been really near and dear to me. I see a thread throughout my own life in the area of identity, and I'll be sharing some of that tonight. Um, but one thing that I know for certain is that the enemy is not really concerned with our identity. I'm pretty convinced of that. Um, he just wants to mess with our identity, but what he's really after is our destiny. And the two are very connected. So if he can rob you of your identity, if you get confused about who you are, you'll never walk in the God-given purpose and destiny and the plans that God has for you. And the enemy is so terrified that you will actually accomplish everything that he's called you to do. So I just, I love this series. Um, and I have a keynote scripture. I think it's going to be up there, Hebrews 12, 2. I want to start with that, but before, I'd love to start out with prayer, and um, I have a little friend that told me when she grows up, she wants to be a pastor, and so I want to make sure she gets every opportunity to begin to get ready for that, so I'm going to invite my friend J.C. Brown up to open us up in prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray that everyone could have a good um, night and a good day tomorrow, and I pray that everyone could um, get a message from God, and I <laughs> pray that everyone could just learn more about God, and we love that you gave us all your presence. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Little powerhouse. Okay, so Hebrews 12, 2. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, and um, we'll read this together. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured a cross and despise the shame. And there's a couple things that I loved about this scripture that really, there I go, I, I hugged JC too tight. I knew that was gonna happen. I'm a hugger, and I normally wouldn't use this, but I wanna use my hands tonight. So this first part of the scripture, what I'm not preaching about, um, is that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, and that really struck me. Um, he's, Jesus is our Lord, he's our Savior, but even in his dying moments, he was an example for us of how to overcome and endure for the joy set before us. We know the Bible says that we don't look at the things that we can see, right? They're temporary. We look at the things that we can't see. And he was this beautiful example in his dying moment of looking at the joy set before him. And that's how he endured that painful, awful moment he was able to endure because of the joy set before him. And I think that that's what he would say to you today, just these little keys. I just, you know, he, all throughout the Bible, he's this example of like, come, follow me. Here's the way to walk. Here's the way to that abundant life. Even though you're going to go through hard things, you can endure for the joy set before you. Jesus, in that moment, was looking ahead for the good that was going to come out of that moment. And we know because of God and because of his word that everything we go through, that good is going to come out of it. 
The, 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 the scripture says that I know the plans I have for you and they're for good and not for evil. So that's just a little nugget for you to hang on to. As a pastor at Heart of the City Church, I know that many of you have things that you're going through. And look, the Christian life never promises that we won't go through trouble. If Jesus, our prime example, went through trouble, we certainly will go through trouble as well, right? But for the joy set before us, I hope that whispers in your ear the next time that you need endurance for something that you're going through. But what I'd really love to talk about tonight, if you put that scripture back up, are the three kicker words at the end of that scripture. That's what really caught my attention, that he endured a cross and he despised the shame. And I'm thinking, what? Jesus was confronted with shame? What? He had to hate shame on the cross. Now, I know that God is the one that gave him that joy set before him. That was all God that helped him endure. But who's bringing this shame that he's having to despise? And as I started to search that out and and read scripture, and I don't know how all of you hear from the Lord, but um, what's been uh, a tendency in my life is I'll just get like one word. Lately, I've just gotten a, a couple words. And what I'll do is I'll get on my handy Bible app and I'll push on that thing and I'll punch in that word that I feel like I'm hearing and it leads me to a scripture or some scriptures and I begin to study them out to find out what God is saying. Amen? If you have ever thought, I sure wish I could get a prophetic word, just open your Bible. The whole thing's prophetic. It's prophetic. And so it speaks to us. And so I was punching in those words that I kept hearing in the back of my head and it kept taking me to Hebrews 12. And I'm like, what is the deal? What is the deal with shame, God? And I thought, well, I'm just going to do a little devotional. And I read some scriptures and looking up some things and I thought, okay, God, what's next? What's the next devotional, right? Because we got to get our fresh five in for the day and our chapter for the day. And God's like, no, reading, I'm just going to have you kind of camp out. We're just going to camp out here in shame. I'm like, I'd like to move on. This is a little uncomfortable. Can we move on? But you see, the thing is with the Lord and with his word is that we don't read it to get information. We read it to get revelation. Because the world is just inundated with information, information, information overload. The world doesn't need more information. The world needs revelation. And God wants to use you to bring it in people's lives. So just understand, if you've been in your devotional and you got your thing down, you do your Bible for the year, I'm just kind of praying that God starts to mess with you a little bit. It's like, no, we're going to camp out here. Because I'm going to do something in you, and then I'm going to do something through you. You will never preach a message or speak a word to someone unless you go through it with the Lord yourself first, right? And so I'm camping out. I'm like, okay, man, I'm staying here, God. And during that time, it was amazing the different things, the conversations I would be in and the subject would get on shame. And we were at our friend's house uh, probably about a month ago, Stephen and Kathy Shortridge. And those of you who know Stephen, you know he reads about a thousand books a month. And so he happened to have one of his thousand books and he gave me a copy. And the title was the soul of shame. I'm like, okay, God, I get you. I get you. We're just, we're going to stay right here. Just keep it right here. So I'm staying on this. I'm studying. And one thing I was convinced of in my studies of scripture and different articles I read and people I talked to is that shame is not from God. Shame is the devil's game. And he's going to play that with you any chance that he gets. So we have to recognize that when there's shame in our life, we have to reject shame when it tries to come in our life. And we even have to despise shame, just like Jesus did on the cross. 
Because here's the terrible thing about shame. It seems like such a, just a light word. And, and some of us have even used that light phrase of like, well, shame on you. But it's much more sinister than that. You see, shame keeps secrets. And secrets breed sin. So it's way more lethal than we can ever imagine. Delitze New Commentary says this about sin, that it seems to be the correlative of shame. So they're interconnected. They're like partners in crime. They're like buddies in bad things, artful assassins. And honestly, shame is trying to take us out just like it did Jesus on the cross. And so as I'm studying this, and I've also had this other theme going on in my life about the uncomfortable place, like getting around uncomfortable people and getting into uncomfortable situations and just trying to really be Jesus in these uncomfortable things. And this topic, honestly, was just completely uncomfortable to me. So I said, okay, God, let's talk about this. Let's, uh, let's talk about the shame that might be in my story. So I allowed myself to go back and I was thinking about, okay, when I was a little girl, I, I imagine that's when shame entered my story. My body biological dad um, was an alcoholic, and that would have been bad enough in our home, except for he was also a very prominent attorney in the little town that I lived in. So it was extra bad, because it was like he was this wonderful man um, giving justice to different families and had this wonderful reputation out in our community, and he would come home at night and terrorize our family. There was domestic abuse that was involved. Uh, My mom would have to call the police. We grew up Catholic like the priests would have to come over. So shame entered my story pretty early on. But the funny thing is, is that I was so young, I think I was kind of aware of shame in my life. Like I didn't know that that was part of who I was. I didn't know that it was part of my story. And then of course I became a teenager and shame was right there again. And I didn't know the Lord. And so I did all the things that my friends were doing. I was doing things that I was far too young to be doing, um, not mature enough. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't really receive the shame of the things that I was doing because I thought, well, my friends are doing it. I was able to keep it at arm's length. I'm like, everybody does this. This is just what you do. Even though inside something in me was saying, this isn't right, Rating. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be in this place right now. You shouldn't be with that person. You shouldn't be doing those things. I, I was able to keep shame at arm's length. And if, if I could just encourage young people, teenagers that are in this room tonight to think, it's okay. I can do it. My friends are doing it and you've kind of been able to keep shame at arm's length, shame will hang around and shame will come back. It it stays until the opportune moment to just try and take you out. So listen to your pastors, listen to your teachers, listen to the people that love you. And when you have that check inside, that is God and the people that love you trying to keep you from having to battle shame as an adult. Amen? And so shame is just, was this little part of my story, and, um, and I, I would hear this voice um, every once in a while. That's kind of how I came into this recognition that shame was in my life. This little voice that would say, you know, you really don't measure up. You know, there's something wrong with you. You know, I know you think you want to do that, but you're not going to be able to do this because you don't have what it takes. And it would just come at these, the weirdest moments. Usually when I'd get an opportunity or something, this little voice would just kind of be in the back of my head. And, and the beautiful thing was at the age of 21, I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Such a beautiful time in my life. And I received Jesus. And then it's kind of like, 
maybe for the first time, I kind of had this little yellow brick road I was walking on, and I was so not used to that. You know, I was so used to hardship and a battle with everything. And there was this beautiful time of knowing Jesus as my Savior. I ended up marrying Jonathan around that time. I had Seth and Jamie. I had these kids. We were youth pastors. And yet, guess what was still happening? that nagging voice would still come, even when I was in the ministry, even though I knew Jesus, and say, you don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. You're not gonna do this. Your life doesn't matter. And so I was thinking, you know, it's probably because I'm a middle child. And I was reading books on middle, middle children and birth order going, oh man, that's what it is. I got put in this family. I got my older sister got this attention. The baby got it and I didn't get any attention. And that's what that voice says. But it was, it was so amazing to find out um, in my 30s, I came face to face with what shame looked like in my life. So we typically go home to my mom's house for Christmas. And so my husband and our kids and my sisters, I have three sisters and their kids, we're all at my mom's house for Christmas and we're sitting around on the couch around the Christmas tree. And my mom just kind of starts freaking out. And she runs to her room and we're like rock, paper, scissors. Who's gonna go talk to mom? It's Christmas, I don't wanna do it. And I just apologize in advance for the bratty middle children and the young children because we just kind of looked at my older sister like, hey, it's your responsibility. So my older sister goes back, talks to my mom. They come back like 20 minutes later. My mom's face is puffy. You can tell she's been crying. She sits down on the couch and she says, I've got something to tell you girls. We're like, okay, tell us. You're all illegitimate. I'm like, "I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say? Like, Merry Christmas. I'm looking at the Christmas tree. I'm looking at my mom like, is this a joke? And how are you supposed to respond? I'm 30 and I have kids and I have a husband. Is, is this supposed to impact me? But in that moment, my sisters and I, because of the environment we were raised in, we kind of have this look we give each other, like straighten up. This is not about you in this moment. And we're able to just really just encourage my mom and console her and thank her for hiding the secret that obviously had kept her tormented for years. But I'll tell you what, when I got home after Christmas vacation, I had to get with Jesus because that voice was like, you're illegitimate. You're a bastard kid. What does that mean even? And so I got with God. I was reading the word. And the book of Isaiah really came alive to me at that time. And here's the other beautiful thing about going through difficult circumstances is that's when the word of God comes alive. I have like dates that I put in my Bible of different times that the Lord has just absolutely sent a word to me. And it was in that moment I'm reading Isaiah that it started coming alive to me that I knew you in your mother's womb. Reading, this is not a surprise to me. I named you in your mother's womb. I formed you. You're not illegitimate. You're my daughter. You belong to me. And it was so beautiful. I thought, I didn't need years of counseling. I didn't, I just in that moment received it like, yeah. I'm God's daughter, I'm not illegitimate. And so it was just a really beautiful time in my life and it shut the mouth of the enemy. That was that voice. And I was so happy to have it revealed. God's timing is perfect. And when we have things that rise up in our life, it's always because God wants to deal with them. He's not trying to expose us. He's not trying to embarrass us, but he allows things to come to the surface so that he can kiss away the wounds, so that he can tell you the truth about who you are. And I'm so thankful that God chose that moment to reveal that big shameful secret in my life because it wasn't too long after that that I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. And if I would have had to deal with that diagnosis 
and that stinking voice that kept telling me, your life isn't worth living. I can only imagine what my battle would have been. But I was able to get with Jesus. I grabbed a hold of his word, and I believed that God was going to touch my life. And many of you have heard that story. Jonathan has shared it, that I was miraculously healed of cancer. And it was a beautiful time in my life. And shame was not able to take me out. But shame is trying and will continue to attempt. If Jesus was still dealing with it on the cross, if the enemy was coming to him on the cross, it's something that we need to be aware of. Webster's Dictionary describes uh, shame as this, a painful feeling arising from consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, and embarrassing. Shame brings confusion, downward cast eyes, slack posture, and a lowered head. Now, don't you think that God has the answer for that? I think of scriptures just that come bubbling forth like, who's the glory and the lifter of our head? Jesus, he takes our shame away. And so shame has kind of been this buzzword in our society. I don't know if if you remember a few years back, Brene Brown had a big TED Talk that was on shame and vulnerability. And I had uh, listened to this article, or actually listened to an interview that she gave after she gave that talk. It was actually a TED Talk in Houston, the city of Houston, and 500 people were in attendance. And she was just mortified that she had given this talk and that 500 people had listened to it and that nobody cared and it wasn't a big deal. And even though she'd spent six years studying on it, how stupid of her, how could she have thought And little did she know how much that resonated with so many people that I think it's got like three million hits now. Shame is prevalent in our society. And just because Brené Brown's talk has kind of maybe gone to the wayside and maybe you don't hear about it as much, shame has not gone away. Shame was in the formation of our creation. Think about the very first humans, Adam and Eve. What is the first thing they battled? Shame. They were in the garden, didn't have any clothes on, cool with them, and then they disobeyed God's divine design. And what came on them? I mean, naked and afraid, forget that. They were naked and ashamed. And it's way worse, terrifying, terrifying what they went through. Wikipedia describes shame as this, a painful social emotion that can be seen as resulting from comparison of one's self-actions to self-standards. Can you imagine the craziness of that? So it's like shame causes us to put unrealistic expectations on ourself, and then what do we do with that? We put them on others, and it's like this cycle of disappointment. And guys, disappointment is deadly. And so to me, it's like I try really, really hard in my heart to never put expectations on people because I don't want to go down that road of disappointment. I've been down that road. You don't want to go down there. And Romans 5 tells us this. Instead of expectation, we put our hope in God. And Romans 5 says this, that that hope never disappoints. So if we hope instead of expect, it keeps shame at bay. Amen? Shame is a war that's waged within ourselves. It's like, that's just where it would like to stay, hidden within ourselves. It's a cycle of self-hate and self-destruction, and it feeds on trials and hardships. And so as I was 
thinking about my walk, you know, my early years where shame entered the picture, and where did shame try to reappear? Well, it was in my second diagnosis of cancer. Because you see, I had the first diagnosis and that whole revelation during that time. It was just beautiful. It was like God set me up to be able to weather that. And then he healed me, and it was wonderful. And now I'm going to get back on my yellow brick road. I'm always hoping for that. Like, can we be done? Can we be done with the hard things? Can I get back on my yellow brick road? But Diagnosis comes again, you have thyroid cancer. And I'm like, okay, 37 years old, I'm gonna get a word from God. Now, what was that that you did before, God? Because I know you're gonna do that again. I'm gonna get a word, I'm gonna pray, someone's gonna pray over me, and I'm gonna get healed. And so that's kind of what I thought was gonna happen. And I was like driving my doctors crazy. It's kind of like, I can't get the surgery because this is what God's gonna do. And I almost had like a faith formula. And guys, if we have a faith formula, we don't need our father anymore. You get this little thing like this is the way God moves and it's not gonna work for us. God is way, way bigger than we are, right? And he does all kinds of different things and we can't put expectation on him to move like we want him to move. And that's just what I was doing in that moment. I'm like, yeah, I know what he's gonna do. Gonna give me a word, gonna heal me. Well, it didn't go like that. I had surgery, radiation, and years of trying to find out what was my new normal. But I learned from that not to put a faith formula on what God wants to do. And I, and I actually learned to quit asking the question, why God, why is this happening to me? And the question I ask instead is, what are you after? What is the good that you're gonna bring out of this situation? You know, shame doesn't always come like the dark, sinister cloud that we think it is. Sometimes shame comes like a comfy blanket. In fact, will you hand me that little, can I just tell you something about this blanket? Anybody have a security blanket when they're little? Raise your hand, please. Thank you for your honesty. Now, the rest of us, you probably had a pacifier. And we could play, we could find out which one's worse. But I had a security blanket. You got a picture, guys? You got a picture of my two-year-old self. Do you know? Yes, I am sucking my fingers in that picture. Um, do you know what it took me? That I did a pretty good rendition. This was my banky Bobo was his name. And I was out trying. I spent like a full day trying to find a banky Bobo. Because, you know, I went to hot spots like Target and stuff. And they had like aero blankets and chevron print blankets and all that. And I'm like, no, I need a banky Bobo. I need a plain white with this, the stuff that's on it. Couldn't find it until I went old school. I had to go to the stores that have been around since the 60s when I was little. I finally found it at Sears. I mean, I was walking around. No, I... Oh, I was walking around, guys. I was in Kmart. I haven't been in Kmart in decades. And I was like, I just kept walking around because I go, I feel like, I feel like when I was young and they were playing 80s music and everybody in there was 80s, man. <laughs> Mullets, acid wash jeans. I'm like, these are my people. <laughs> but, but Kmart didn't have my Benki Bobo. So Sears had my Benki Bobo. But seriously, shame will come. You know, the, the enemy likes to come like an angel of light. And sometimes shame comes on us like our comfy security blanket. And it tells us it's okay because of the things that have happened to you, it's okay that you can't get a job. That's why. It's because of what's happened to you. It's okay that you cheat on your wife or your husband. I have to because I have so much pain from my past. I have so much shame. It's okay that you overdrink or use medication because you have to because how are you possibly going to make it with all the hurtful things that have happened in your life? And shame just kind of keeps on us like this comfy blanket like this is who I am. Do you know the original meaning of shame was to cover? 
It covers who you really are. It smothers your identity. It says, it says that you will never do the things that God's called you to do, and therefore you might as well just medicate, and you might as well just stay in your sin and wrapped up in that cycle, that vicious cycle. But you know what? The Bible gives us a way out with that. The Bible literally tells us that we can cast off sin. We can cast it off, and when we do that, you know what God gives us? He gives us his robe of righteousness. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. He's such a good father. Think about you as a parent. So when we're equipping our kids, we want to impart to them, right? We don't want to enable them. So there's a part our kids have to play in learning things. So God's not going to take that stinking blanket off of you. He's going to ask you to take it off. But I promise you, he is right behind you. You take that thing off, you brave it out, you quit hiding behind that blanket, and right behind you, he's going to cover you in his robe of righteousness. Something that we don't deserve, right? It's his robe of righteousness. Corinthians tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Jesus. And he will put that thing on you. And you will go after everything that he's called you to do. And you will be, you will be able to do anything. Nothing will be impossible for you. So what are these things that keep us from being able to cast off, cast off those things in our life? I think that pride is one of the things that holds us back. Proverbs says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But one of the most beautiful weapons we can use against shame is love. You know, First Peter tells us that love covers over a multitude of sin. And now we know that there's a huge correlation between sin and shame. And I saw that as I was, I was studying. So we know that, we can, that love would cover over that. Do you know in ancient times, the worst a Hebrew could wish, wish on their enemy is that they'd be covered in shame. That would be what they prayed. That was like the worst thing that could happen. And that's what the enemy wants to keep us back from the thing that, that God has called us to. Amen? And so I want to look at just a couple people in the Bible. Is it, when is it going to tell me? It'll say finish. It's saying I have like nine minutes. Okay, so we're going to look at Job. And um, before I read uh, the story of what happened in Job's life, um, I want to say, I want to premise it with this, that the Bible says that Job was a man of integrity. It actually says he was a great man in the east. And now I want to just read of how the enemy tried to come with shame in Job's life. Starting Job 1, starting in verse 13, it says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone escaped to tell you. The messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking. When another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine? Have any of us even come close? As I was reading this, I thought my husband's got about as close as I can think about losing everything. And I thought, what was Job going to do in this moment? What was Job's relationship with the Lord? Because the enemy was coming in with shame like fire in his life. 
And here was Job's first response. The first thing out of Job's mouth, it says that Job fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was Job's first response. Guys, if you could get motivated about why you should be reading the Bible every day and connecting with God, it's so that this would be your first response when trouble hits. Shame could have come on him. He could have started blaming and cursing God. That's the other thing that shame likes to do. It likes to blame. It likes to point a finger and said, this is why this happened. And then it turns right back on us. This happened because of you. Job could have battled that. Could have battled the enemy saying, you brought this on. Your sons and daughters died because of you, but he didn't. He walked in humility and vulnerability. And can I tell you something about those two things, guys? You walk in humility and vulnerability, it's like chemotherapy to shame. It will take shame out. And that's what Job did in that moment. And then he was able to worship God. And it says throughout the things that Job went to, because by the way, that wasn't all. It says that Job did not sin or blame God for anything. And I wonder how many of us have maybe have not seen the restoration that Job finally saw because we're still blaming, we're blaming other people for the things, we're blaming God, and in turn, we've begun to blame ourselves. I did something wrong. And we haven't been able to see the restoration because it goes on to say, in, in Job chapter 42, the end story, like I said, it all turns out good because it says that God restored his prosperity. And it even says that Job's latter lives were better than, latter years were better than the former. And I felt like, in this chapter that Job actually gave us a prophetic message. You know how Jesus was an example? But in this, Job was a beautiful example to us. In this, it's almost like this prophetic word that he says, and I think it's gonna be up there. Is it a PowerPoint? Yeah, not that one. How about, um, I'll read it. It says, um, this is Job's prophetic charge to us. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? He was saying this in the middle of all this trouble. And so guys, I think the Bible screams to us that in this life, we will have trouble. All the men and women of the Bible went through hard times and Job's prophetic charges. Is that what you want to expect? Just good? Just your yellow brick road? I mean, I've been, I've been there. I've, I've had to be challenged with that. Like, really, Radine? You think everything's just going to be candy coated and great? You don't think you're, going to go, think you're going to go through hardship? You know, something that trials do, trials matures us. Trials puts endurance inside of us. It puts character in us. Do you know the Bible says that we actually identify with Christ in our sufferings? How much do you want to know Jesus? And how much do you want him to be able to work through you so you can help other people? Because we weren't put on this life just for us. He's going to work a message in you, and then he's going to work a message through you. And some of that's going to come from hard times. I'll just read one of the scriptures that deals on trials in the Bible, guys. I mean, seriously. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And so you know what I like to say when trouble comes? because I still have trouble. I'm getting a little used to it. I still pray that it goes away. 
But when trouble comes, I say to myself, man, this just hurts so good. And I actually get this playlist to my life. And just to tell you guys a little secret about me, I'll be in meetings and I'll be meeting with people. And I got a song going. I got a playlist going on for my whole life. But when trouble hits, this is my jam. My jam when trouble hits. My playlist. And as you see in both Pastor Dale's and our, in our life, a lot of it is 80s music. Our playlist is 80s music. So we're going to be the type of people that are going to be ready when trouble hits, right? And we're going to be good soldiers, man, this just hurts so good. And we're not going to focus on our symptoms. We're going to focus on our Savior. Amen? That's what we're going to do. And we're going to be, like the Bible says we're supposed to be, living letters to other people about how to endure and how to get through hard times and how to cling to Jesus and how to despise shame and accept the robe of righteousness that God has for us. Amen. I don't have time to go into the story of David, but you can find it in 2 Samuel. Of course, um, David also was a great man of God. He was a man after God's own heart. The difference between Job and David is that Job never did anything wrong. And yet the enemy came and said, can I do these things to Job? And it's radical, guys. And this is the sovereignty of God, God said, okay, and he oversaw the affliction. I know that's hard to believe, but God oversaw it because he saw the good that would come of it. But David, actually, this man of God's own heart, actually did something that put him in the guilty category. He got another man's wife pregnant. We know the story that he had the man killed and that the, the prophet Nathan comes to David and tells him this parable about this evil rich man that took a poor man's only sheep, slaughtered him, and then served him at a banquet. And David said, who is this man? This man should be killed. And we know that the prophet Nathan said, you're this man. And, and then went on to prophesy that his firstborn son would die. David fasted and prayed. And then on the seventh day, his son did end up dying. But let's look at David's first response. This is David's first response, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now we're in verse 20. And when David found out that his firstborn baby was dead, it says that David got up from the ground. He washed, he anointed himself, changed his clothes and went to the Lord's house and worshiped. We have a man that was completely innocent that shame tried to come on, a man that was actually guilty, but God is still saying, don't put on that shame because it's a devil's game, right? That is not from God. God never intended for you to walk in shame. And so in that moment, even though David lost his son, he didn't become an alcoholic. He didn't get on drugs. He didn't start having multiple affairs because he had that one and it worked out that way. He was able to cast off shame, put on God's robe of righteousness and go on to do all the things that God had called him to do. So you see, shame breeds secrets and it leads to sin in our lives. And then we never fulfill the destiny on our life. It's a vicious cycle. And it gets on this crazy train. And I think one of the best antidotes to shame is actually sorrow. Did anybody see the movie Silence? 
And so in it, in 16th century Japan, the missionaries go over there, sharing the gospel, people are getting saved, and then they're getting persecuted. And so, uh, and this little Japanese guy gets saved, and he's a new convert. And what the persecutors are doing is they would put this metal picture of Jesus down, and then people would have to step on it and renounce Christ. Um, And many beautiful martyrs would not do that, and they suffered horrible consequences. But this Japanese believer, every time the persecutors would come, he would step on the face of Jesus, and then he would go to the priest and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me. And the first time I thought it was really precious and I was really excited about the grace of God. And then like the fifth time, I'm like, get off the screen already. What is the deal? He just was in the cycle of shame. And if he would have gone to godly sorrow and actually repented, then that shame would have left him right away. But he was just stuck, stuck in the cycle of shame. And so I wanna just end here now where we began in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two. And our ultimate example of our Savior who actually had to despise shame. And I want to encourage each one of you that even as you've listened to me, if there are things in your life and things that have bubbled to the surface, even as I shared my story and some scriptures, that you too would recognize shame and that you would despise it. Because you see, if God will not take what you do not hate, If you're still loving that thing, if it's still a security blanket in your life, then God won't take it. But if you say to him, and if you wanna just stand to your feet, even as I pray over you in this area, that he will not take what you don't hate. And if you can just um, be thinking about, thinking about the things, you know, that come to mind during this time. And, you know, I actually, through this word and, and, and God ministering to individuals, I really feel like God wants to minister over our city. I was praying this morning and thinking, you know, there's actually a blanket of shame over this area, in the area of prejudice. There was racial prejudice in the past. There's gender prejudice. There's socioeconomic prejudice. And I just believe, and if you'd agree with me right now, that Lord, I just believe that you're removing that blanket of shame off this area. Father, just because us, we're willing to deal, we're willing to get vulnerable and humble and deal with the shame in our own life. But Father, as a body of believers, of those that have robes of righteousness already on us, we lift up our city and we ask you, and we even in the spirit see you casting off the blanket of shame over this area. And Father, covering it with your robe of righteousness. Father, we thank you that every plan and every purpose that you have for our city will come to pass in Jesus' name. And I can't close down the service without first offering something to some people that are in this room tonight. You heard part of my story that, you know, most of us have trouble from our background and trouble in our teenage years. But I had that beautiful encounter when I was 21 years old. And I had never heard the gospel. I didn't know that I could ask Jesus to come into my life and be Lord and Savior of my life. And it was such a gift to me in that moment. And I want to extend that gift. I can't, I'm just compelled. I can't think of any other greater gift that I could share with you than that you can do the same thing. It's that simple. I know it's just Saturday, March 18th, but this may be your day of salvation. And it changes everything. I'm living proof that my life began to change and God began to move in my life like never before. And so if there's anyone in this room that has never done that, just confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart, maybe you've never heard the gospel, I invite you to just raise your hand like, that's me. We have people over at the cross that want to pray with you. It's such a simple thing. And I think that's why sometimes we don't do it because it seems so simple. It must be too good to be true. 
It must not work. It's a get rich quick scheme or whatever, but it's not. It's powerful and it will change your life and it will change your family's life. It'll change your circumstance because you're inviting Jesus to be part of what you're going through. So if you just want to make your way over there, I just want you to just, you know, be comfortable. This is, we're family at Heart of the City Church. By the way, we've all done this. We've all been there. We had to, we had to confess we need a savior. Just do it tonight. Just go, just seal the deal with God. Let, ask him to come into your life and be a part of your life. And as people are making their way over there, I just want to have one final prayer time and I, I really don't want leaders to come forward. I really felt like this was a very intimate thing. It's a very individual time for each of us. Just as a good, good father that would ask us, I want you to take off that blanket of shame. I want you to remove that shame that you've been walking in. And even in the spirit, if you just want to get with Jesus right now, and if you need to get rid of shame in your life, that you would do that with him, that you would physically even trust him by taking off that cloak of shame. And then by faith, that you would receive his robe of righteousness, the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. Come on, we're believers. These are things that are available to us. And as you just receive and maybe even feeling that relief for the first time, like maybe I am righteous. Maybe God has more for my life. And even as you just receive that power of that warmth and that covering that's coming around you, I wanna invite you to do what Job did invite you to do what David did. Doesn't matter if you're still going through trials, going through hardships, so were they. But you know what they did? They worshiped God. And I just want to invite you. It's just us. It's us and Jesus. And if you've just done that in the spirit, if you're like, I am casting off that shame, I am putting on God's righteousness, and I am going to worship him freely. I invite you to come forward. Let's just worship together. Amen.